I want to ask you a personal question. Do you read my newsletter, Leadership Forward 321? Because if you don't, I really think you'd like it if you like this podcast. Every Wednesday morning, I send a short newsletter designed to help you lead your organization more strategically and with less overwhelm in five minutes or less. The newsletters are organized around a timely leadership theme and give you something practical that you can apply right away in your organization. I include three of the best articles that I've come across on that theme, two concrete resources or tools that I believe in, and one quote to inspire and motivate you. So if you don't yet get the newsletter, I'm going to make it super easy for you to sign up. Just text the word IMPACT to 66866 and you'll be added to my list. Thanks. Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. I'm Brooke Ritchie Babbage, social justice lawyer turned nonprofit founder and leader of a seven-figure nonprofit. I've spent the past 20 years immersed in social impact work, and I've worn so many hats. I've worked as a leader, a board member, a coach, and a strategist. I've ridden the highs of changing lives and communities, and I have weathered the many storms that go along with doing social change work. And through it all, I've learned an important lesson. There is a method to the madness of leading social impact work. I created the Nonprofit Mastermind to share that method, to pull back the curtain on the actual strategies and mindset behind launching, growing, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. Ultimately, we do this work to make the world a more beautiful, equitable, and just place. And I want to help you do that. If you're a passionate, committed leader who's looking to build and lead an institution that has real and lasting impact, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, welcome to April. I am oddly super excited about the beginning of this quarter. I feel like the first quarter flew past and this feels a little bit like an opportunity to pause and decide what I do and don't want to bring forward into the spring and into the next part of the year. It's a little bit like New Year's all over again. I don't know that it has always felt that way to me, but there's something about this year that, uh, I don't know, this just feels like an opportunity for some new, (laughs) new beginnings and some intentionality. I'm also really excited about what I have planned this month here in the land of Brooke Ritchie Babbage. I'm welcoming some more awesome students into my accelerator program. I'll be announcing my upcoming virtual conference pretty soon, more details to come. And I've got great things coming up here on the Mastermind Podcast. I have a really fantastic and juicy conversation on today's episode, which I'll introduce in a sec. And I have upcoming conversations about social marketing, a version of my bloopers reel, some of the biggest mistakes I made when I was running and growing my own organization and what I learned. Lots of fun stuff is coming up. I'm particularly excited to announce, and I realize I keep using that word a lot, excited, but it's it's appropriate. I'm really excited to announce a new part of this podcast called the Spotlight Series. Every Thursday, I'll be introducing and interviewing one of the incredible leaders in my accelerator program. I want to pull back the curtain on their real-life journey as social impact leaders. 
Not only am I thrilled to shine a light on the mission and work and impact of these truly incredible organizations and organizational leaders, but I also see these conversations as just a wonderful behind-the-scenes look at and celebration of the real work of leading social change. When I was running my own organization, I loved talking to other nonprofit leaders. I loved hearing their stories. I loved to see what they were doing about things like staff meetings and board engagement and how they were measuring impact and how they were talking about their work and how they were organizing their calendars and all of the things. I just loved feeling resonance with other people on similar journeys. And that's part of the vibe I want here on the Mastermind Podcast. So every Thursday, you'll get that. We'll hang out over coffee or a meal or a drink, depending on what you're going for. And we'll celebrate the work and impact of leaders doing the work on the ground. So definitely tune in on Thursdays. It starts this Thursday and share with other leaders and folks in your world. So what I'm excited to introduce today to kick off our April is what I really think is one of the meatiest and best conversations I've had here on the podcast. It's with a woman named Crystal Cherry. She's a board whisperer, founder and CEO of The Board Pro, and a children's book author, which she'll talk about in our conversation Crystal is a nationally recognized nonprofit executive and a professionally trained fundraiser. She spent the past more than two decades in the sector, raising millions of dollars and getting buy-in from multiple stakeholders for big, huge missions and projects. And along the way, one thing that has always been part of her work, which is what we talk about here and what she really leans into now, is moving people to action collectively. Crystal has interfaced with, guided, trained, collaborated with boards made up with diverse stakeholders, politicians, corporate CEOs, religious leaders. She is a master at helping boards achieve and govern from a sense of shared purpose to find their deep affinity with the missions of the organizations that they're committed to and to build the kind of sense of belonging that really moves boards to action. And She breaks it all down for you today in this conversation. You'll get just a glimpse of what makes her such a powerful and effective board coach and trainer. Now, in addition to having just a delightful time talking with one another, which I think you'll hear, we just really enjoy talking. Our conversation today is just a perfect blend of the big picture, things like what does it actually mean to have an engaged board? What do we mean when we say engage? (laughs) Strategic. How do you build a sense of inclusion and belonging on a board? What do you actually do? And tactical. She offers really concrete tips and tools you can actually use tomorrow to add to your board agendas, to create space for collective learning, and to help folks grow. So grab a notebook, grab a pen, grab your coffee or your drink, and let's dive in. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Crystal, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I'm very excited to be talking to you about boards today. One of the things that I really love about the work that you do and our conversations is that you focus so deeply and specifically on making boards excellent, making them work. And I think so many of the folks we know and and work with in the social impact space, you know, fold board work into other nonprofit work, which makes sense. It's part of the ecosystem. But you go really deep 
And I love that. And so I think there's going to be a lot of juicy stuff for us to talk about today. So I always like to start sort of bigger picture in a more generative space when we're talking about something, especially because we are going to get into some tactics and stuff later. But talk a little bit about how you came to this work and why the focus on boards. Yeah, thank you. Before this space, I was a nonprofit fundraiser. And so I was on the front lines of asking people for money. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other segment. That's a whole uh, other topic, whole other podcast. (laughs) Well, I did that for 23 years and I decided that I wanted to do something else. I was feeling burnt out. So I decided to go into consulting. And so I worked for a consulting firm for about a year and was a fundraising consultant for them, working with their clients to talk to them about how to fundraise. And it was there that I really kind of just hit me as I would sit in on those meetings. A lot of times I would be in board meetings. I've sat in board meetings my whole career, but Mm -hmm. in that particular experience, I sat in board meetings and I realized how unengaged, (laughs) apathetic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) ill-equipped. All the things, yes. All the things that our boards are. And I'm just thinking, my God, these are the people who are making decisions and impacting millions of lives, whether it's about human life or animals or the environment or whatever your cause is. These are the people who are making those decisions. And if they're ill-equipped and not engaged and apathetic, what does that say for us? And so I was just like, as I was thinking about my transition out of fundraising, because I had decided I had had enough, what can I do? What can I continue to do in the nonprofit sector? still have some impact. Use my fundraising experience because even while working with boards, I'm still thinking from a fundraising lens because board work is people work, right? It's hard work. It's heart work. And so it's fundraising. And so it's about building relationships. And the same thing goes for boards. And so I just thought this could be an easy transition for me as I think about leaving fundraising, formal fundraising, and then still using what I've learned to help nonprofits prosper. And being in this space has been marvelous. I love it. I really believe in the power of boards and I go for it every time. I know one of the things you have on your website and we've talked about, and I've heard you on other podcasts talk about who's at the top matters. And I love that just at a gut level that resonates with me. And that's very front and center in the work that you do and put out there. Why is the who so important? Yeah. I mean, so just think about what we've just been through. This pandemic, the social unrest, the economic crisis, the political crisis. Nonprofits. We're still going through it. We're still going through, right? But 2020 and 2021 were the years. Nonprofits were swirling. They didn't know which way to go, left or right, up or down. (laughs) And I found in talking to clients and just talking to people who are in the sector that those nonprofits who had boards who said, you know what, let's hunker down. Let's get in touch with our nonprofit donors. Let's get in touch with our funders. Let's go ahead and bring our staff home, shorten our hours. I mean, they pivoted quickly. Yes. They responded. We're not going to stop asking for money. We're going to ask for money sensitively. Those nonprofits fared well during the pandemic. And then those who had leaders, board leaders and executive staff who said, everybody just sit still. Let's not move. Don't ask anybody for any money. Those nonprofits many went out of business, right? And so those people who were at the top making those decisions in times of crises really, really survived. And we've learned that having a business continuity plan for something like this that might happen again is really important. Part of what I hear you saying is that when it comes to boards and their role in the nonprofit ecosystem, at best, if they are unengaged, the ED is doing things alone, right? The ED and the leadership team are sort of carrying the weight 
of stewarding this mission by themselves. That's at best. At worst, worst case scenario, organizations have shut down. They do run into the ground. They leave money on the table. They are not serving the people that they are supposed to be serving through their mission. So the who's at the top trickles down in terms of impact, in terms of resources. It's really, really powerful. So everyone wants <laughs> to start to dig into the substance. Everyone wants an engaged board, right? And I put that in air quotes, not because it is not real, but because I think a lot of people think it's a unicorn, right? Like, what does it even mean to be an engaged board? So I'd love to start getting in the weeds a little bit, pick your expertise. Let's start with what does engagement look like in real life, IRL? <laughs> yeah, and so this is where a lot of my fundraising experience comes into play because, you know, before I was working with boards, I was working with donors. In order for donors to feel comfortable making big gifts to your organization, they have to be engaged. And so it's about building relationships and making people feel special and making people feel like they are included and that they belong. And so just like I had to do with my donors, building a relationship with them, showing them that I cared, that I was really interested in what they wanted, making sure that their values align with the values of our nonprofit, all those things are the same things that come into play when we're talking about board members. And so when I talk to an ED who says, you know, my board is not engaged. My first question is, what are you doing to engage them? Have you equipped them for this work? Have you explained to them what their roles and responsibilities are? Has the board chair done that? Mm -hmm. So if you're not engaging them, then you can't be mad at them. (laughs) And so I usually have a come to Jesus talk with the board chair and the executive director and say, listen, you guys, these people are busy. They are volunteers. They're not being paid to do this work. And like anything, if they like you, if they feel like you really care about them, they will come to a board meeting even when they're tired, even when they're frustrated and really exhausted and want to go home. They feel some loyalty to you and they realize that this mission is so important and they're going to make the time to make it happen. So I say to my board chairs, are you calling your board members a couple of times during the course of the year to mm-hmm. just check on them, to have coffee with them, to see how the board experience is going, to see if we're utilizing their skills optimally? This has been a rewarding experience for them. How else can we engage them? If you're not doing that kind of work, then you're not going to have engaged board members. In fact, I am on a board here in Atlanta, and I'm the worst board member to have. So I call my <laughs> you know the rules. <laughs> call my board chair, and I said, you know, I'm feeling some kind of way that yeah. we are more than halfway through the fiscal year, and you've not contacted me. I'm serving on this board because I want to be engaged. You've not contacted me to ask me how my board experience is going. You've not invited me for coffee. You haven't even invited me to make my gift. I haven't even felt fulfilled my pledge. Yeah. And no one's even called to see whether or not I'm going to make the gift or not. And so if you want me to be engaged, is you doing some work. And of course, as a board member, I have signed up for the responsibility. So I had to accept some responsibility on my own. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it really is up to the chair and the executive director to make sure your board is engaged. And if that's not happening, then you can't blame them 100% for their non-engagement. <laughs> I mean, I hear so many things I want to lift up there. So the first thing that I hear is board engagement is rooted in human connection. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I work with so many, as you know, small and growing nonprofits under $3 million where you really are looking to your board to govern, to be thought partners. I mean, at all levels you are, but I think for a growing organization, that active engagement can really mean the difference between expanding your impact and not. And so many of those conversations center around how to get, quote unquote, the right people on the board. Mm -hmm. 
in ED's minds, not necessarily people they like, people who they feel like they want to have coffee with. And so I always try to reframe and say, and I love your framing of it's about the human connection. Your board, this is a team. These should be people you want to call and say, let me get your thoughts on this. Let's meet for coffee. How are you doing? How do you want to be involved? So that's the first thing is human connection. Right. And then I also hear that connection starts with them, with their affinity for the mission. Why are they involved? Why are they excited? And really centering the board members. And I think that that can be tricky. You know, having been an ED, I'm very aware of what I need from my board members. And part of what I think I hear you saying is, yeah, that's important. Absolutely. They have a responsibility to the organization. But also, why are they there? And what's the value add for them? How are they sort of carrying out some vision of the world that is meaningful to them as board members? Exactly. So on the board that I'm on, I realized that this board had not really had any formal training. It's been around for a long time. People have cycled in and out. And so I said to the board chair, why don't you utilize me? (laughs) I'm on the board here. And so we started something called Board Bites. And at the beginning of every board meeting, I do just a little bite about board work. So whether it's about fundraising, whether it's about recruitment, whether it's about conflict resolution, whether it's about engagement, whatever it is, they give me like 10 minutes on the agenda to just give them a little quick, it's like four PowerPoint slides. (laughs) (laughs) And so every meeting, the board is getting a little bit of training. And now if we ever need to do a deep dive, I can certainly do that. But so that we don't have to be a deep dive. Exactly. I give them an opportunity to ask some questions and we talk about some things. And it has been real effective. It might be a just, did you know? You know, did you know there are 64 million board members in the United States? Did you know that as a board member, you have rights? There's a board member bill of rights. Let me tell you what those rights are. You have a right to dissent. You have a right to have legal protection, to have insurance, right? You have a right to call a meeting if you feel like your executive director is out of order. You have a right to internal communications as it relates to policies and practices. And a lot of board members don't know those things. So that's just a little board bite that I can do in a 10-minute segment. It's a little bit of training every single time we meet. And it works. And they love the idea. Because I was just thinking, how can I use my skill set to contribute to this board that I'm serving on? Besides giving my money and volunteering and all those things you know you're supposed to do, how can I utilize what I do every single day to help this nonprofit? They love it. And the board loves it. They actually look forward to it. They're like, all right, board bites. Let's see what we're going to talk about today. Because I usually try to make it fun. I might show a little video, do a little questions, true or false, you know, that kind of thing. They really get into it. So I think it's a wonderful way to keep the board engaged. I love that. The question I had in my mind was what's getting in the way? And, you know, you highlighted perhaps sometimes lack of formal training, not engaging them as people. But I actually really like the direction you're going, which is more positive, which is what are some other strategies or tactics that you've seen work around board engagement that don't have to necessarily be a two-day retreat or a full-day training or something like that? First of all, I think at the onset, when you bring board members on, sitting down with them and going over the roles and responsibilities. So everyone is clear on what the expectations are of them, right? And I'm a big component. I'm a big seller of 
board pledges and board contracts. So I am too. I'm a huge yes. fan. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Let's write down a little pledge, a little contract. And each contract is going to look different, right? So for you, you might be able to say, I can pledge $500 this year. Out of the 10 meetings, I'm probably going to miss two. I pledge to at least be at seven of those. Yes. I'm going to buy a ticket or a table at the gala. I'm going to commit to having one reception either at my home or in my office. And I'm going to bring at least five new people to the organization that know anything about our mission before. Yes. In mid-year, we can sit down and go back over that contract and just say, okay, look, this is what you said you could do at the beginning of the year. You've done one, two, and three. What's going on with four and five? Okay, you can't do the reception. Okay, we can take that off. But at least we know going in exactly what you're going to do, what you've committed to doing, and what we can expect from you. And then we have some accountability because we can go back and say, look, this is what you said you could do. Are you still able to do it? And I think that really sets the tone for letting board members know This is a two-way street. We expect something from you and we're going to give you something back. Yeah. One of the other things I love about the sort of annual agreement is it is a natural entree into the conversation you were talking about before. Why are you here? Let's revisit all of the things you mentioned, the bringing five new people in, the buying the ticket or the table. Those are outgrowths of a personal commitment you've made just on a personal level. What's exciting to you about what we have coming up in our annual strategy plan. What did you love that we did last year? What would you like to see again? What do you care about? And that is a wonderful way to capture that and translate that excitement into great, bring five people to this event that you love. I love that. Even doing little exercises, like I'll do things like, all right, so today we're going to talk about strengths. I want you to identify one strength that you have using the first letter of your last name. Right. And so you really get into it. Right. It might be I'm charismatic. You know, I'm a connector because my last name is Cherry. So I'll say charismatic. I'll say I'm a connector. I'll say I'm clear. I use words. And so I tell the board chair and the executive director, pay attention because they're telling you right now what their strengths are. are, What are the things that they really feel that they have to offer the organization? So that when you have a task that comes up soon or a project that comes up soon, you remember, oh, Crystal said she was a connector. Let's use Crystal to connect us with this person, right? Take note of what your board members are telling you about themselves and what they feel are their strengths so that you can use that to your advantage. And then board members really get into it. They do. I used to have just a one sheet of paper that I'd hang over my desk where I'd list my board members. And then I just put a few words right next to them about what they had said was particularly exciting to them. So that as I was going through my day or my month or my week, and if I came across an article, if there's a conference I was going to, it was a really quick and easy way for me to like say, oh, you know, Amy really loves all of the things we do around blank. Let me see if she wants to come to this conference with me. And it just hung right there. I was always right in front of me so that I remembered throughout the year pull them in in these sort of different informal ways. So there's lots of ways. There's the agreement. I love the strengths. And I think as an ED, noting those, right? Capturing them and as a board chair, holding them in a certain place. One more thing. When I was a fundraiser, my job, and because it's not natural for everybody, I'm an outgoing person. I'm an extrovert. (laughs) I don't care. I'm going to ask people for what I want. That's how I was a fundraiser, right? And so let's say during the week, I have a list of 10 things I need to get done as a fundraiser. I need to send a couple of thank you notes. I need to call somebody. I need to get this grant application out. And I'm thinking, why should I do all that by myself? (laughs) So I would call some board members and like, look at here. I have a grant application that's due next week. I'm ready to send it. Would you take a quick gander and look at it? Wow. Before I hit send. 
And that helps them. They're reading what we're writing in the grant that helps kind of reiterate the mission and why we need the word. Or I have a donor that's been giving $300 a month to us for five years. No one's ever called him. I'm going to make a call. Would you join me on that call to thank that donor? I love that. Just giving them little tidbits every week. I have a to-do list. And this week, as a board member, you might say, yes, I'm free on Tuesday. I can do that. Next week, I'm not free. But this week, I am free. I can make that call. I can look at your grant application. I can send a thank you note, whatever it is. But my board was never confused about how they can stay engaged in between board meetings because I kept them busy. I love that. That is wonderful. And I'm glad you brought up fundraising as a board member because I just read this really great piece by you about building a board that understands financial stewardship. And I just really loved that framing, the relationship between or difference between fundraising, which is a very important board function, and financial stewardship, which I think contains fundraising, but is broader and deeper. I would love for you to share both sort of what that distinction is in your mind, how you think about that and why it matters so much. Yeah. You know, financial stewardship is knowing how to read a simple budget statement. I mean, we don't expect you to be accountants, but we need you to be able to understand the monies that are coming in, the monies are going out, the profits and the losses. We just need you to understand that basic premise of what a budget looks like. And if there's something on the budget that looks a little squirmy, you should be able to question, well, this looks like we lost $5,000 in the last quarter. Why is that? And hold the team accountable. Well, we had a donor who didn't come back last year or we had a grant that didn't come. You know, but you are letting them know, I'm looking at these numbers. I see that there's some discrepancy here somewhere and I want an explanation. And so the team knows, okay, this board is on top of it. They're going to be asking us questions. So we better go in prepared. So reading a simple budget statement, I think is important. Understanding the importance of a 990. I know board members members who have never seen their organization's 990. Yes. Yes. And I always tell my board members that 990s, that's your outward facing report to the world, right? Particularly for funders. And they're going to pull your 990 and it indicates everything about your organization, the mission, who's on the team, who's on the board, salaries, all of those things. And if your 990 is looking a little crazy, (laughs) that might dictate whether or not you're able to get some funds. And so your board's responsibility is to review that 990 to make sure it looks appropriate. And to know what they're looking for. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And then, for instance, a decision is being made about bringing on a new program, right? And you're looking at the budget going, wait a minute. Okay, I'm looking at these numbers. I don't see how we're going to start a new program. Where are we going to get the money to hire people? Mm -hmm. Where are we going to get the money to buy the materials that we need? Where are we going to get the money to bring in the after-school program computers and the books that we need for the children? Yeah, we have a little extra money in here, but who's making this decision? Maybe this is not the right time. So you're questioning and engaging with the executive director, holding them accountable for some of the decisions they may be making internally based on what you see on your budget. Your budget is telling your whole story about your nonprofit. That's right. Yes. I share this story in my accelerator about, so I was the founder of my organization and just was really blessed to have and build a great, strong board. I've always served on boards. I love boards. I understand boards. And I had a really great one. But there was this one moment around when I really knew that they were going to be okay, even if I left. We had this opportunity to build out this project with a company called Blue State Digital, which was the company that did the IT support for Obama's organizing framework for his first campaign. And we were going to do a youth 
based electoral project for the New York City mayor a number of years ago. And it was really exciting. And they were going to build out these websites and do this online survey. And it was really great. And in my mind, we're going to do it. It's going to be great. I haven't signed the contract because it was off budget. It was an extra $35,000, but it was a formality. It was like, I'm going to bring this to the board. They're going to say, this is great. I'm going to sign this. So I get to the board meeting. I make my presentation. I explain how exciting and wonderful this is going to be for the organization. We have some press and it's going to be great. I start to go on to the next topic and I'm like, and you know, we'll vote on this at the end. And two board members raise their hand. They're like, but correct me if we're wrong, but this isn't in the budget we approved. And I was like, it's not, but don't worry about it. I got it. And they were like, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's wait, what? And in that moment, I will admit, I was really annoyed. And this is just to speak to like why it's so important, this idea of financial stewardship, because it would have been really easy for them to say to me as the founder, we're going to approve what you need us to approve so that you can carry out your vision. That would have definitely been the easier thing. And I think, quite frankly, that's what most boards do. They rubber stamp. Right. And instead, they held me accountable. And we actually had to have a conversation where I had to walk them through why this company and not a cheaper company, why this project, why now? And it actually ironically made my fundraising stronger because I got those questions from other people. There's a back and forth. And I highlight that story because I think that people can be really easy to think that everything you're describing, the board engagement, making sure your board knows how to be a governance board, knows how to engage in financial stewardship that that can always feel smooth and easy. And that if it doesn't, it means, oh, no, 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 we're doing something wrong. We're putting too much pressure on boards. And it doesn't always feel smooth and easy. Sometimes people will get annoyed. Sometimes there will be tension. And that means the system, that can mean that the system's working. So I wanted to highlight that because everything you've said is just so on point. And I don't want people to think that if they do these things, it will always mean that every single meeting is filled with sunshine and smiles. Right. Yeah, there are times when we have to come. I remember one time we found a check. In the oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, we pulled the, I don't know if it was a box or a file cabinet or something. We pulled it out. And lo and behold, right there on the floor behind the file cabinet was a $35,000 check from a foundation that was about a year old that had never been cashed. Wow. And so I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so that escalated all the way up to the board in terms of how do we handle this situation? This is a lot of money that's been sitting on the floor behind a box in someone's office for a full year. And so we had to have this whole conversation about what is our gift acceptance policy? What is the procedure when a check is received? Who was supposed to stamp on it and record it in our records and making sure that it goes from the first person to the second person? How many eyes are looking at the check? Where is the check being deposited? How soon is the donor being thanked? All of those things. And we had to take this to the board because we had to figure out how to contact this foundation to let them know that we had not cashed this check and whatever it was that money was supposed to do had not been done. Not been done. Yeah. And so sometimes it does get a little prickly and you're not sure what to do. And the board has to kind of weigh in on big issues like that because now our relationship with this funder was going to be in jeopardy. So having them weigh in on what we should do, how we should handle it. And the board chair actually, with the ED, actually made a call to the foundation to set up a meeting to apologize and explain that there had been some transition and that this got lost and this was a real huge oversight and that this will never happen again. And that our board made sure that we have some policies in place to make sure that when checks are received, there's a process that it goes through and really try to troubleshoot and fix that relationship. And thankfully... Thankfully, the foundation was forgiving. They gave us grace. Yes. But we didn't know what to do. We had to get the board's 
feedback on how we should handle that. So sometimes it's not prickly. Sometimes you got to go in and admit that you've made a mistake. That's right. The board was not happy. That's right. But they stepped up. I love that the board made that call. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So another theme that you write about and talk about and speak about is around creating a culture of belonging. Mm. And I think this obviously directly ties to the sense of engagement. So I'd love to talk about that. I think a lot of times when I have been on boards where I have observed challenges around engagement, sometimes what is happening is there's the lack of the training, there's a lack of clarity, some of the things we've talked about. And sometimes it's a board culture issue. I love how you talk about the importance of creating a culture of belonging on boards and how that filters through everything else. What do you mean when you say a culture of belonging on a board? Right, right, right. And I do make that distinction because we've been talking a lot about diversity and equity and inclusion. And we think it stops there. So we we think we bring on more people of color. We try to put in some policies that make it seem like we're all equal. We yeah. tell them you're welcome to come to the meeting. Right. But then when they get to the meeting, it's kind of like, well, what is the culture like once I get there? That's right. That's <laughs> you right. told me I can come. I'm included. That's right. <laughs> so there's that inclusion piece. That box yes. is checked. Yes. Then once I get there, what is the culture like? This whole not acknowledging that you have people on your board who are different. It's okay to acknowledge difference now. It used to be a time where we used to say, oh, everyone's the same. We don't see color. No, everyone is not the same. <laughs> everyone does not have the same lived experiences. Okay. And so the perfect example, I have a friend who had on her board a Nigerian guy. Mm-hmm. And he would always express to her that he felt uncomfortable because he was the only black person. There were other people of color, but he was the only black. And he was a very dark skinned Nigerian. And he didn't know if he would feel comfortable in this environment. And so she had conversations with him and learned about a little bit about his culture. And so he was going to Africa and he was bringing back, I think it's called coffee or kufi or something, the thing that they wear on their head. Mm -hmm. And so she asked him to bring back one for every board member. (laughs) And so when he came back, she asked him to report about his trip and then told the board that he had a gift for them and gave every member of his board one of these kufis, these hats that they wore, and they took a picture. Mm -hmm. And the board really got into it. And he really felt like, yeah, I was feeling like an outsider. I come from a different culture. I've got this deep accent. My skin is very dark. I feel very different. I'm not sure if I'm going to feel like I belong in this environment. And people started asking him questions about his native country, about his language, about the foods. He really, really, really perked up. You should have seen him smiling. And I was just like, oh, my God, when I heard the story, I was just like, oh, my God, this is so wonderful. That is a pure example of having a board member to really feel like they're a part of the culture. What they live through, what they bring, it's important to everyone on the board. Everyone is expressing interest making sure that you're not scheduling board meetings and events during holidays, during Jewish holidays, during other holidays where you know people are not going to be available to come. Acknowledging we have people on our board who celebrate a holiday and they must be away with their family or friends during that time. So this is not the time to have a board meeting or an event. Scheduling meetings at times that are convenient for everyone so that people who have children and aging parents they're caring for don't have to miss a meeting that's scheduled at seven o'clock in the morning. or having your board meeting way out in the suburbs or somewhere where people who don't have a car, they can't get to it because the public transportation doesn't go out that far. Having foods at your board meeting or at your events so that everyone can partake. If you have some kind of strange food that I don't know anything about, it's kind of like, oh, this is apparently not for me. Playing music that everyone can appreciate. So really creating this sense of belonging where everybody feels like I'm here on this board. They see me. 
They see me for who I am and what I bring. And they acknowledge me and they make decisions taking into consideration who I am on this board. So we're not going to have a board meeting at seven o'clock because we got five single moms in the room. I've been on those boards where prior to my joining, maybe I was the only one with young children. I've, as you know, young kids and board meetings are at 8.15. I was like, that's exactly the time I need to be standing outside of my oldest son's school. So I can't do it, you know? (laughs) Exactly. And I always bring up the example of one time I was coming out of a board meeting. It was starting to get dark. It was dusk. I was coming out of the parking garage and I was about to turn on the light and I saw one of our female board members walking. The city shuts down after hours. So there's not a whole lot of people walking around. So I stopped and I said, hey, where are you headed? And she's like, I'm going to the train station. And I'm like, the train station is like five blocks from here. It's getting dark. I said, do you always do this after every board meeting? And she goes, well, yeah. Does anyone know that you're walking five blocks in the dark to a train station by yourself after a board meeting? And she's like, well, no, I never mentioned. I'm like, we need to talk about this. We can't put our board members at risk for coming to a board meeting. And so maybe having a board meeting earlier or making sure that someone gives her a lift to the train station or walks with her or whatever, but just taking into consideration what people have to do to actually be involved with this board. Because like I said, these are people who are volunteering, they're not being paid, they're taking time out of their busy lives to do the work. And we want to make it as easy and seamless and safe as possible. So yes, I think those are things that we really need to be thoughtful about who's serving on our board and how we can make their board experience easy and convenient and safe for them. And that will make them feel like they belong. Not only am I included, but they see me and I belong. It takes a little bit more work and a little bit more thought. The whole point of this is I think people really underestimate the value that a board can bring Mm -hmm. and the work that it takes to keep your board engaged and to do this right. Yes, I think that's right. I would love to close with advice, some concrete (laughs) advice. And it's been so amazing talking to you. You've shared so much. I know this is what people pay you a bunch to actually sort of come in and do. So I am so grateful that you shared so much with us. And I would love to draw on your expertise just a bit more for some concrete advice for listeners, small, growing nonprofits that want to cultivate and sustain an engaged board that they love working with that show up as thought partners, that show up in the way that we want our boards to show up? What advice would you give them? Like some of the things we talked about, I think right out of the gate, making sure that they have a really good board orientation, making sure they're introduced to all the board members. Back in the day, we used to have board books where, you know, you'd get a big old binder. Now we can put everything online in a board portal. I still call Um, it the board book, even though it's probably on a page. I have a couple of those board books. You look at it once or twice and then you put it on the shelf. But now we can put it in digital. So if you have a board portal where all of your documents go in one place, I can go to the board portal and I can see the bylaws. Mm -hmm. I can see the board bios. There's one board I worked with. It was so wonderful. They had a picture of every board member and underneath their picture, they had their name, email, address, the names of their spouses, the names of their children, their hobbies. And the skill strength that they brought to the board. And I just thought, oh, my God, as a new board member, you're like, oh, my God. OK, so this person is working. I feel like I'm already getting to know them. Yeah, right, 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 right. It sends a message that this work that you're doing as a board is important. We want to make sure that you are well equipped. So we're going to make sure you have access to bylaws. You're going to know who's on this board with this bio book. You're going to have your pledge agreement in there. You're going to have your calendar of all the dates of the meetings that are coming up or what time they start. 
all of the reports and things that we need for you to look at are going to be put in that portal a week before the board meeting so that you'll have an opportunity to look at that before we get to the board meeting. We're not asking you to scour it and then approve it right there at the board meeting. You'll have an opportunity to do that. So making your meetings start on time, keeping them short and succinct, like all of those things that we know that makes it easy for me to be on this board will make it more likely that I will come to a board meeting. If I know that I come to a board meeting, it's going to start 30 minutes late. They're at the copy machine trying to make copies of the budget. We've been through all of that, right? Everybody's sitting in the boardroom waiting for the report. A bunch of reports. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I say, make sure you're doing the right thing on your end as the executive director to make sure that you are prepared and organized so that when this board comes in after running in after work or coming in on a Saturday morning, everything they need in order for them to make decisions, for them to weigh in, for them to be able to give you some feedback about issues is there and prepared for them. You don't have to go shuffling through papers trying to find things. Make it easy. And then make this experience fun. It's not supposed to be just we're all sitting in a board meeting tied up with suits on. Have a little music playing at the onset of the meeting. Have some coffee and donuts or some wine at the end. Give people an opportunity to socialize a little bit and to have some levity. Because we're about to talk about homeless children, which is a heavy, heavy topic, right? Where we all got to jump in. But before we get there, let's talk about what you do last weekend. How was your ski trip? How is your son doing? Did he win the basketball? Whatever it is, give some social activity. So make this an enjoyable experience that I will want to leave my family and all the things I need to do at home so that I want to come because I know this is going to be enjoyable. I know you're going to be organized. I know I'm going to be engaged. And this will make me feel like I'm doing something wonderful and I'm also getting something back from it. I cannot think of a better place to end our wonderful conversation. (laughs) This has just been fantastic. You are just a fountain of wonderful information. I cannot wait to share my show notes. Where can people learn more about your work? what you offer and how they can tap directly into your wisdom. Oh, thank you for saying that, Nicole. Yes, they can go to my website. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can go to my website and find everything. I'm at www.theboardpro.com. And it indicates all the services that I offer, which include board search and board fundraising and one-to-one coaching and board conflict resolution and information about my children's book that I just wrote last fall, Mac and Cheese Being Different is Okay. It's on my website. Yes. So go there. It'll tell you how to get in touch with me if you want a free consultation or if you wanted to talk about how I can support your board. I'm there. Wonderful. Thanks <laughs> so much, Crystal. Great talking to you as always. Thank you for having me again. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. The four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm, 
and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. Finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadership forward 321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.